I'm Jessica Denson, host of Lights On with Jessica Denson here on the Midas Touch Network. We've been covering the work of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, otherwise known as CREW, here on Lights On. And they have uncovered some shocking revelations about the Secret Service and contacts the agency had with Trump's seditious army leading up to January 6th. This bombshell investigation was kind of just a flash in the news last month. And that's why we're going to shine a light on it, especially as we're learning other disturbing reports that Mitch McConnell ignored warnings from Mitt Romney about the violence law enforcement warned of leading up to January 6th, why wasn't the Capitol, Capitol properly secured, and why was Secret Service downplaying the threat and liaising with an anti-government far-right militia who would lead Trump's violent insurrection? It's great to be joined by Jordan Leibowitz, Communications Director for CREW and co-author of the expose on the Oath Keepers and Secret Service. Jordan, welcome to Lights On. Thank you so much for having me. So just give us a refresher. I I'm really want to go through this report you wrote in detail of what you uncovered of emails between Secret Service discussing communications with the Oath Keepers. Yeah, so this was part of a much larger investigation that we've been doing into law enforcement uh, on and around January 6th uh, to, to try to get to the bottom of who knew what uh, and, and what reactions they took. How did they hair, and how did things get as bad as they got? Uh, so a lot of that has been focused uh, on the Secret Service uh, through uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. Uh, so this particular uh, request was about any communications with or about the Oath Keepers uh, and their founder, Stuart Rhodes. Uh, what we got uh, was not a full accounting by any means. We only have information around one event in September 2020 in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, where one uh, special agent starts briefing other people uh, within the organization, uh, in which he refers to himself uh, as the unofficial liaison with the Oath Keepers. Uh, he even goes so far as to a parenthetical that he's inching towards official, and he starts talking about who they are, uh, describes them as very pro-Trump, very pro-law enforcement. There's more back and forth where they talk about, well, who are these guys that want to show up? He talks about talking directly to Stuart Rhodes. Uh, they just want to coordinate with the Secret Service, which is should raise some alarms, because why would this group want to with the Secret Service, because that is not a thing that generally happens. And as a matter of background, the Secret Service in an email says that there isn't much that they could find on them, uh, other than that they're definitely not white nationalists, and uh, they don't like Antifa, they've gotten into it with, with a black uh, militant group, uh, but that's about it. Uh, that raises a couple of issues. One, leading with they say they're not white nationalists it is pretty strange. You know, if you go and meet someone with, for coffee and the first thing they say is, you know, I'm definitely not a white nationalist, that, that's <laughs> going to raise some questions that, that you, you, you probably weren't prepared to ask. Yeah. Uh, but the, the thing that we found strange, uh, Sarah Wattrack and I, uh, Sarah, uh, co-wrote the piece, uh, there was a ton of material out there on who the Oath Keepers were 
and who Stuart Rhodes was at the time of this. Uh, so what we did was we just did a basic Google search uh, with a date ending, so anything before that email was sent. And it was really easy to find a ton of articles about them in Ferguson, Missouri, and St. Louis, and and police saying, like, we don't want them there. They're showing up in body armor with assault rifles. Uh, they're causing trouble. There's a ton of things on Stuart Rhodes' background. Uh, the way that even if they're not white nationalists, they've worked hand in hand with white nationalist organizations. So there's a ton of really easy to find information. And that information was not included in any of these background briefings. So that raises the question, why not? Was the Secret Service just unable or unwilling to do a basic background search on that? Or was there something else going on? Uh, why do they have a unofficial bordering on official liaison? Why are they taking calls coordinated with Stuart Rhodes? Uh, these are these questions that are raised in light of some of the larger questions that we have about the Secret Service on January 6th and essentially where they were, uh, how they were approaching an insurrection. Uh, my colleague, Lauren White, has done uh, a lot of research and has published a few articles on the Secret Service and the Proud Boys and how in their briefings about the Proud Boys, they kept saying that there's you know, no evidence of civil disobedience uh, that's going to happen on January 6th with them. I saw uh, that in some of the FOIA requests that you produced. I mean, it's absolutely shocking with what we now know about the Proud Boys having breached the Capitol and their leaders, both the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys leaders, having been convicted of seditious right. conspiracy. 22 um, years for one, 18 years for another. That's a lot of prison time. Yeah. Why was the Secret Service downplaying this? And I, I mean, just one of those emails that we'll put up on the screen, it says, this is from the Secret Service agent whose name is redacted. It says, their desire is to assist those attending the event, presumably this event you're referencing in, in yeah. North Carolina in 2020. Uh, to assist those attending the event, make it to run to and from their cars safely. They are not, and it's in caps, they are not there to demonstrate or push a political agenda. And um, and as you said, this is downplayed. There's There was information in the public record about Stuart Rhodes comparing Hillary Clinton to Hitler and calling for the hanging of John McCain. I mean, his extremism was known. He was known, the Oath Keepers were known to be agitators in places like Ferguson, Missouri. They had they were asked to leave because they were intimidating people with their you know massive stockpile of weapons. Speaking of stockpile of weapons, I think you're probably in the Washington DC area, right, Jordan? Yeah. Okay. Well, I happen to be from the Washington DC area. I can never again drive by that Comfort Inn in, in Boston, in Arlington, Virginia, for people who are not familiar, is right outside of DC. There's this Comfort Inn that you'll pass many times if you live in the area. I can never drive past that place again without thinking of the stockpile of weapons that the Oath Keepers reportedly had there prepared in 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 uh, preparation for their their you know, violent insurrection on January 6th. Yeah, and I think you made a really good point there, Jessica, with uh, talking about Stuart Rhodes uh, calling for uh, then-Senator John McCain to be hanged. Uh, that exact rhetoric is what we saw on January 6th with the crowd chanting, hang Mike Pence. Uh, we saw the noose that was, and the gallows that was constructed there. 
Uh, and that just kind of brings up this thought of Mike, the reports uh, Mike Pence on January 6th refusing to get in a car with Secret Service agents who wanted to take him away from the Capitol because he was worried if they took him away from the Capitol, what would happen? So we can't make any assumptions about the Secret Service not wanting to uphold the peaceful transition of power that we've trusted for you know, more than 200 years. Right. But it raises questions of why was the Secret Service not so prepared for these groups coming? Why do they seem to be at least sympathetic in their language when they talk about these groups? Yeah, another question that's raised, and I want to come back to that, um, definitely come back to these questions about the loyalties of Secret Service, because at the end of the day, they're there to protect the president. They're really there to protect the American public, and they're in a position of public service for the country and for our leaders, um, not to any particular man over somebody else. Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting um, that you brought out in your piece in October of 2022, a former member of the Oath Keepers testified that Stuart Rhodes had spoken to the Secret Service to coordinate around the rally as you're discussing in these that you've discovered in these emails. But an agency spokesman told CNN that the US Secret Service, this was a quote, the US Secret Service doesn't have enough information to say whether or not this call actually took place. And he you have in this yeah. emails that it did yeah it, it's rare uh, especially the way uh these things are often redacted that we get kind of this just clear like yes this happened uh from these documents but this is very clear you know it says i talked to Rhodes, so we know that they were talking to Stuart Rhodes. uh what we don't know uh at least right now is what happened closer to january 6th these were the only documents we've gotten uh this is only part of the investigation we are still uh, pushing the suit is ongoing. We are trying to get more documents because it's clear that they exist, right? He, he, he talked about uh, previous interactions with the Oath Keepers. If he's inching towards a, the, being the official liaison, this is not the first time the Oath Keepers have been discussed. Uh, so we think there's a lot more in terms of documents and communication that the Secret Service have had and, and we're still trying to get those. Yeah, and you mentioned this as part of an ongoing investigation that you've been doing. And the earlier piece you produced last month was, was about the Secret Service knowing about the threat on January 6th among this kind of interagency discussion and then downplaying it. Um, in spite of the warning that groups like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, um, and other neo-Nazi groups were coming with an intent to cause violence. Um, the Secret Service said there is no indication of civil disobedience stemming from right-wing extremist groups. I mean, why was the Secret Service downplaying the danger that all of the agencies were aware of and were um, you know, raising the alarms about? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that we'd love to get to the bottom of. You know, there's only two possibilities, right? They either did not see a threat coming and i think there's been uh, enough evidence to say that yes law enforcement organizations knew of the threat of january 6th so the other option is they didn't consider it a threat so why did they not consider it a threat did they say you look at this email where he says those keepers are very pro-trump 
and very pro-law enforcement. They say, well, they're on our side or be on their side. Uh, do they just not actually believe that there could be violence? Uh, but given the violence that has surrounded some of these organizations, that's a little difficult. It's this ongoing question that we are trying to get to the bottom of. Why didn't the Secret Service take this more seriously? Yeah, I, I have to happen to think it's it's a question in, in the case of particular individuals. I don't want to speak for the agency as a whole, but I think that particular in, individuals fell, fell uh, prey to a certain um, kind of a loyalty to an individual, in this case, the Donald Trump. And I want to play a clip from Carol Lenning, who has done extensive reporting on this subject, wrote a book about it called Zero Fail, The Rise and Fall of the Secret Service. Here she is commenting, actually, um, in the in the fallout of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony about Tony Ornato and Bobby Engel. Can we play that clip? Both of these individuals, Bobby Engel and Tony Ornato, were very, very close to uh, President Trump. And some people accused them of, at times, being enablers and yes-men of the president, particularly Tony Ornato. Very much um, people who wanted to do what he wanted and see him pleased. And that was frustrating to agents who were more focused on, say, security or being independent or good planning. I mean, it really raises the question of a, a just a really um, institutional problem in an agency that is supposed to have a higher purpose and has succumbed to um, what I think is kind of these authoritarian influences that Trump Trump um, installed in so much of our government by by demanding loyalty to him personally, instead of to people's oath, to their duty, to their responsibility, to the American people. There's apparently a, a known problem here. Yeah. And, you know, we're not trying to tar the entire agency. Uh, th this is not saying uh, every agent, every special agent in the Secret Service puts Trump above their country. We, we don't believe that. Uh, what we have seen, though, is just this series of issues uh, that does make people, uh, rightly or wrongly, question their loyalty. And, and that's this position that we never want to be in, right? We don't want the American people to be questioning, are federal law enforcement services actively protecting the government, protecting us? Or are they more loyal to a person? You know, if we're supposed to be a, a country of laws and not men, that would kind of point to the opposite of it. Uh, so that's why we've spent the last few years looking into this, uh, filing lawsuits, filing public information requests, uh, just trying to get down to the bottom of it and trying to expose what happened, who knew what, and why were these decisions made? Hundred percent, and just for for context, as a reminder, Tony Ornato um, had been on Trump's detail, and this was completely unprecedented. In 2019, he took a leave of absence from the Secret Service to become a White House political advisor and worked for a brief time as Trump's deputy chief of staff for operations. That's highly irregular and totally unprecedented for a Secret Service to make that move from the Secret Service detail to a political position. Um, and it just shows you how Trump was trying to, you know, influence politics, influenced everything um, that happened in that administration. And I hope, Jordan, um, that people take this as, as a lesson in a bigger picture of just kind of 
the influences and tendencies of the Trump administration to politicize and weaponize agencies that are otherwise designed to, as you said, uphold the rule of law and engage in public service and safety. Yeah, I think there's no better example of that than holding the Republican National Convention at the White House. That is just not done. You do not use federal resources to endorse a candidate. That's why we spent so long talking about the Hatch Act. It's not about this like ticky-tack thing of saying, ooh, you said the wrong thing, you're in trouble. It's about a fundamental thing in our democracy is that people in power do not use the government, do not use taxpayer resources, do not use the military, do not use law enforcement to keep themselves in power. That's what dictators do. That is not what people in a democratically elected government do. And with Trump, it started with just like slowly seeping norms away until he just seemed to throw out everything. And he made it so he would, if he was willing to inspire a mob to attack the government to try to keep himself in power, what else was he willing to do and who was willing to be on his side for that? Absolutely. And I hope people take this into context with understanding the threat of what a second Trump term would look like. God forbid we ever get there. Uh, Jordan Leibowitz of Crew, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to finally catch up and definitely check out our other coverage of Crew. Of course, they're um, very important work to disqualify Trump via lawsuits, as well as other uh, uncovering of corruption and the need for ethics reform in Washington. I'm Jessica Denson. Thank you for joining on, us on this special episode of Lights On. You can also find Lights On wherever you get your audio podcast. Just look for Lights On with Jessica Denson. Until next time, have a great have a great day. Mm-hmm.